Hey Swifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is The Swiftcast. Coming up on this episode, tick and talk, we have a new course. With the accent on TT, could this herald a golden era for testers on Swift? The tour of Watopia, Zwift tried to protect community events, but has it backfired a bit? And my bad knee. I said I'd fill you in when the time was right. The full story coming up. Plus a load of Zwift chats. Someone mentioned Forrest. My faithful friends and fellow Zwiftcasters are dialed in and ready to chat, so let's go. I'll just let this background music play as we say hello to Shane and Nathan. Uh, Mr Miller, g'day, mate. Uh, What do you reckon, fella? Improvement on what was frequently described as 80s strip club or porn movie music? Ah, g'day. Yeah, look, that tune, it's not quite a uh, top 40 smash hit, but uh, then again, Peloton couldn't get away with using top 40 smash hits. So, look, I think that start music is best left on mute. (laughs) It's less offensive. Yeah, it it doesn't quite got the jingle to it, though, that we need. It's no Britney Spears. It's no S Club 7. Um, mm, Back to the drawing board, I think. Yeah, well, we know where you'd like to go, you know, Brittany, say no more. Uh, the Sage of Wisconsin, Nathan Garris here. Yo, dude. Hey, how's it going? Not bad, man. And more to your taste than the old tune? Uh, I mean, and that, that old how long was that old tune around? Since very, 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 I mean, the very first days of Jarvis, I think. I think so. I'm, I'm not sure the very first days. I think it was added very shortly after that. So definitely used to the old music. I'll be really honest with you. I do all of my riding on a second laptop. I don't even know what you're talking about. So like, <laughs> so like, I actually have like multiple computers right at the same time. And immediately when I start riding, I just have my Pandora playing in the background and off to the right is my Zwift. So I'm actually loading up the music right now to see what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> well, you get back to us uh, with a review of that, Nathan. Uh, we'll, we'll get your review later on in the show. Um, I must say, I'm, so I, had to, I had to make an effort to listen to it, actually, because uh, like... Uh, Lots of Zwifters. Uh, I have Spotify lined up and ready to go. And that little button that says um, whatever it says on Zwift, don't bother me with silly music, is always turned off. Um, Anyway, let's get going with episode 63. Right on! Okay, so forgive the self-indulgence, but here we go with my little medical melodrama. Um, These two have known this for months, of course. You, dear listener, have had it described as a bad knee, which actually it was at first. Uh, Then it wasn't. It was prostate cancer. I got a diagnosis last August and started treatment in November. And last week, I finished that treatment. It's been a bit of a long winter for me um, because partway through that treatment, I had a routine pre-op assessment and blow me down. They found I also had a heart condition. Um, to be honest, the prostate cancer was kind of fine, actually. It sounds weird, but it was. I spent a lot of time researching it because it's a bit of an odd one. There's a whole um, massive variety of different treatment paths you can you can take, and I wanted to rationalise it and analyse it, and I did both of that and talked to a lot of very, very clever people, and I really wasn't worried, actually. Um, as a doctor friend of mine said, they don't say this to you officially, by the way, this was a, a private exchange. He said, if you're going to get cancer, get prostate cancer, and if you're going to get prostate cancer, get it in Leeds, um, which is where I live. 
Um, he said that because Leeds is a European centre of excellence with outstandingly skilled medics and very advanced equipment. And the treatment I did get was, in fact, incredibly skilled. And um, here's a little... Um, Here's a little puff-puff for the National Health Service, which was just outstanding in every single respect throughout my entire treatment. Um, now, if I'm honest, the treatment was a little bit onerous. It had several strands. One of them was hormone therapy, um, and that has made me fat. Um, possibly the uh, entire winter of comfort eating has contributed as well, um, and it's also given me hot flushes. I get about 15 a day of these. Uh, and I'm now in complete empathy with menopausal women. Um, but, of course, the um, the sum total of all that has pretty much killed me on the bike. Um, and I've had um, uh, a very average winter, let's say. But I've not been too miserable, have I, boys? We've had lots of private ass-based jokes and a bit of bants, eh, Shane? Look, yeah, Simon, you've been a trooper throughout the whole process. And uh, look, all I can say is I hope it's all behind you, but I think that's just another ass reference. So never mind. Carry on. You've done well. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Nathan. Let's get the ass joke in. Well, I mean, I don't have much of a joke. I'm, I'm pretty amazed at how stalwart you are, actually. I'll say, Simon. Oh, well, yeah, but you've like, seen the public face, you see. Well, you, should, you, you, you should be my wife. I'm just saying <laughs> that, like, did something happen? That's kind of like, oh, I guess something happened, and that's how well you've taken it in stride. So kudos to that for sure. And I'm glad all things are on the up and up. Yeah, well, you know, I, I was lucky in that um, uh, as soon as you start talking about cancer, you, you, you find yourself talking in cancer cliches. You just can't avoid them. Um, they did catch it early. There's cancer cliche number one. Um, and um, <clears throat> it wasn't a particularly high grade of prostate cancer. Now, you know, I, I don't want to get on a high horse here because I'm just about to do it again in a minute. But seriously, guys, if you have any worries, just get checked. I mean, I know the PSA test is a little controversial and you need to read up on it because it's too complicated to go into here. It does give false positives, but it also gives a lot of positive positives. Um, and it's worth getting checked if you have any kind of concerns. Um, but actually, that's the prostate. I mean, that's only been half my health story this winter. And, and actually, the easy bit, because the thing that really, really, really surprised me and hacks me off, actually, was this heart thing. Um, so as a lifelong cyclist, I honestly thought the one bit of me that would never fall over or break down would be my heart. But... I got a routine ECG as part of this pre-op assessment, and they found I had atrial fibrillation or arrhythmia. Now, put simply, this is um, an electrical disturbance of the heart. And in my case, it manifested itself as a very elevated HR, and more importantly, a, just a complete loss of power to the legs. I mean, I've not never have been an, an elite athlete, but I could hold... 250, 260 watts up an hour long climb and kind of generally hold my own in a pack of reasonably fit cyclists. Um, once this AFib kicked in, 150 watts was definitely uncomfortable, 180 was a real struggle, and 200 was just unattainable for anything over a minute. And I was regularly seeing an HR of like 220 BPM. Now, I've always been a low beta. My max was was 160. So to see that when you when you look down or look up at the, at the screen, it, I mean, it really freaked me out. Anyway, by the miracle of modern medicine, that too, this condition has actually been fixed. Um, I had a routine procedure called cardioversion, where to put it in layman's terms, it's much more complicated and sophisticated than this, but basically they put you under and plug you into the mains and shock the heart back into rhythm. Um, 
Now, uh, as well as uh, being um, something of an expert on prostate cancer, I'm now something of an expert on AFib. And all my reading, uh, honestly, I was so, so surprised about what I found. Um, and we will go into this later in the podcast because I've, I've got a little bit kind of obsessive about this. And I'd, I'd like to sort of spread the message a bit without alarming people. But but put it this way, when, when I went to the cardiologist and told him I was a lifelong cyclist and had this condition, he wasn't in the least bit surprised. Uh, turns out AFib is surprisingly common in long-term endurance sports people. And I, I really, really don't want to be a scaremonger here. And exercising is always, always, always better than not exercising. But AFib is something you just might want to get clued up on a little bit, if, especially if you're in your 40s and 50s and you've cycled or run for a, for a, you know, a long time all your life. Um, there's one very decent bit of research that says one in four long-term endurance athletes will, will get AFib. Um, so much so that once I found I had it, um, it didn't take me long to come across um, a clubmate who, who who also had it. Um, and I'm going to talk to him later in the podcast because, uh, like I said, it's, it's a bit of an interesting subject, this, and I don't want to scaremonger. But anyway, oh, blimey, what a monologue this has been. Do forgive me, but um, uh, you've got all the detail now. But And I am now fixed. I mean, I'm completely fixed. Uh, I'm terribly, terribly unfit. Uh, my jeans are very tight, um, and, but all of those things are getting serious attention. Um, so road to recovery begins here. Um, Shane, I know you've broken collarbones several, um, but have you ever had a really, really long layoff off the bike? I mean, I've effectively really, I mean, I've been riding, but not properly. Six months or more? I mean, have you ever come back after uh, as long as that off? No, I've um, been racking my brain. I think two weeks is the longest I've had off the bike in the last probably 15 years. That was due to a hip fracture. I've done four collarbones, but you can only you don't need to stay 24 hours off the bike with a collarbone. You can sit back on the bike. But the hip fracture got me off the bike for two weeks until I could sit on the bike before I could even walk. So I, you know, being a cyclist, that put a bit of a dent into the uh, the uh, plans for a few weeks there. But um, look. You'll always get a step back in fitness and form for that, but the hardest part that I find is the mental game coming back yeah. because yeah. the oh sorry the mental game is always there, but the legs aren't. It's the physical game that doesn't match the mental game anymore. So you can, you know, you, your mind will might belong in the front of an A grade or a Cat One race or a bunch, but your legs are back in C grade. Uh, yeah, that happens a few times. But what I've always found is to have a good goal, an achievable goal, and be prepared to lower your FTP. I know we always yep, see posts about it. people saying, you know, people always go, oh, your FTP only goes up. Guess what? FTP comes down a lot faster. Mm. So swallow your pride, set some achievable goals and just start the long process. But once a cyclist, I think always a cyclist, those pathways are there and you'll get back nice and quick, I reckon. Yeah. Well, you're, you're totally right on the FTP. I mean, I did that. You know, I just thought, who are you kidding here, mate? I've, I've, I've taken 50 points off my FTP and, and you know, even zone five in my new FTP is, is, is a struggle. So I think I've probably got that about right. Um, Nathan, I mean, I know you do, you do a lot of coaching and I think Shane put his, his finger on it there, really. It's the psychological battle, actually. Well, the, the small achievable gains is absolutely bang on, but it is the psychological battle. The thing about riding a bike is the fitter you are, the more you enjoy it. And conversely, of course, the less fit you are, the less, kind of the less you enjoy it. Um, any, 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 uh, any mind trickery to help me, fella? 
consistency, I guess, is the only thing. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm not in the same boat, but uh, on the rebuild toward um, wanting pro hours and realizing, man, you haven't ridden your bike for five hours at a crack for a really long time and how like an hour and a half to two hours mm-hmm. puts me in more of a hurt locker than it did before and like being really frustrated with that and then thinking, wow, this is an uphill battle. Um, so, but at the same time, like if you just do the consistency for three, four weeks in a row of what you can do at the time, but making sure it's day in and day out and, um, whatever, it's, it's about just making sure the program gets done. I think a lot of times we have excuses to not, uh, ride as much as we ought to, to hit our goals sometimes. And that's how it's kind of like with food too. I find this similar with food. Oh, I'll just have this little bit here. And that little bit turns into a little bit more. And that all of a sudden it becomes a habit. Next thing you know, my eating diet has changed to what to include whatever that thing was. And I think it's the other way. It, it's mm. the same way with exercise or not exercise. As soon as we start making justifications, rationalizations, become a part of our habits, but then become a part of our, our character. So it's just reforming that, um, that habit and that character that we want to have on the bike kind of a thing, I think. Yeah. And I think it's been realistic about timescales, isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to get back to where I was, not that it was the height of anything, <laughs> any pinnacle of fitness, but I'm not going to get back to where I was in any kind of hurry. I don't think, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at realistically three to six months before. Be- yeah. Three, six months. I think you're going to be spot on though in that time frame, though. I think in that time frame, you can get a lot done with consistency. And you have a lot of muscle memory, a lot of muscle memory for how long you've been doing that. And they don't, your muscles will respond quickly and adapt, adapt quickly because of how much you've done in that the past. That is uh, warm words that are very, very welcome uh, in this part of the planet. Thank you very much, guys. Okay, enough with the personal health drama. Let's talk swift. Right on. It's flat, it's fast, it's in the desert. It's been a long time coming, but it's here. Uh, the artwork is stunning, it's packed with variety and the community seems to love it. So instant verdict from you two before we go on to discuss what it might all mean for time trialling, which is surely the most significant bit of this new release. Uh, Nathan, your initial thoughts first, mate. I really like new sections to challenge people on. I also really, I like the scenery. This is some great scenery because it's so different from anything we've seen before. So I'm really enjoying the new scenery. I really like the idea of a race against the clock and the timeframes that I'm seeing there. Um, I think Casey Shum was streaming like a nine minute TT or something on that TT section when you come back the reverse way. And uh, for that, um, yeah, for that uh, leaderboard there and for the jersey on the on the flats. So uh, I'm really excited about it and um, looking forward also to what's more to come because it looks like there's some hints on things that are also going to be expanded on here. Uh, more than hints. <laughs> Much more than hints uh, uh, due to our... Uh, friend, uh, Jonathan Levy, managing to hack his way in. Uh, and there is, a, there is a definite part two to this course, um, which looks like forest. But let's concentrate on the bit we know most about. Shane, hold the thought on, on what it means for TT just at the moment, but your kind of initial impressions and, you know, gut feel on this one. Do you like it? Yeah, absolutely. It's flat. It's hot. It's pretty long. My first live stream was the, with the fans turned down low, so I had good audio. So it was a sweat fest. Um, but yeah, I love it. Uh, having two entries onto the new desert route means you can change things up on a regular ride or a ride home from, say, the Elp the Zwift or the Jungle or the Epic Com or something like that. So yeah, you can sort of just get yeah, more is better. There's more roads, more options. And I do love the visuals and our new friend Dinosaur, whose name is Sinclair, I believe, from the Sinclair Fuel Company. <laughs> 
So <laughs> is that right? Yeah, I believe so. That's what people in the comments were saying. I've said, you know, do we name our dinosaur? Does it have a name? And it's from the yeah, I believe it's the Sinclair Fuel Company. If any listener can confirm that, we would love to hear either over on the Zwiftcast listeners uh, Facebook page or any social media. Um, I think it's Sinclair. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't move. Well, I'll go with Sinclair. I'll go, I'll go with Sinclair because that works nicely with static. Uh, he doesn't do much, does he? No, he's just a bit boring. I mean, maybe one day he'll like bend down and eat someone off the front of the group or maybe eat a couple of flyers <laughs> off a group ride that goes flyers. past. There you go. <laughs> he could have a purpose. Flyer prevention. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Um, um, okay, well, let, let's dig a bit deeper uh, and I'll stick with you f- for this one, Shane. Um, I mean, it is going to be a popular one with the triathlete community, this. And obviously with pure time trialists. And given that's your specialism, Shane, it was. I think it remains your specialism. A couple of questions for you. I mean, you know, we love fresh tarmac, of course. But if you could wave the proverbial Zwiftcast magic wand, um, you know, what else could could Zwift do? Particularly this, this, this course brings this subject up. What could Zwift do more for time trialing and testers? Well, I think there could be – well – this is perfectly set for time trial. The, the layout there, we've got some start ramps or the start pens right near the start of the flat section. We've got two turnaround points. Look, I think time trials are a brilliant way to test yourself with getting too, without getting too caught up in the performance of others. Like we see in real life, life racing, like you'll have one winner and 40 or 50 losers. Whereas in time trials, you can set your time and try and better that. Now, in real life, here in Perth in Australia, there's a time trial association that has 150 plus riders show up nearly every weekend to set a time and then just go home. There's no awards. There's no rewards other than coming back mm. next month and setting a time bettering yourself. So I think time trialing has a big appeal for everyone, not just the front of the bunch races. So I think that's – I hope that's coming. And we see this stage six of Tour of Watopia has a time trial, albeit not on the same course, but I'd love to see a time trial thing set up for this Um and people reward themselves, like have your PB list, like you do for the um, the comm sections at the moment, you know, your 30-day PBs, maybe even longer than that, maybe six-month PBs for time trials. But what could the game do to help that? I mean, surely there's some pretty easy things the game could do to help that. I mean, you know, could there be such a thing as a time trial mode, for instance? Oh, it's it's got to be. I've speculated about this on the one of my llama drives where I was just you know shooting the breeze about what I want. And there's nothing like being an athlete and you've got 10 minutes to go and you've got nine minutes and then eight minutes and then seven minutes. And maybe you mm. miss your start sometimes, which happens in real life. But that – and then the time gaps of starting riders one by one, I mean, that it could be quite difficult. There's a few things to get around there. But again, Zwift can fork off different worlds or have different people shown at the same time and it's, it's all digital. Anything can be done. But having a carrot up the road to change is the best motivation to do better on the pedals. It's unbelievable. Like if and you and your, minute man, road, your, your minute man behind oh, you, indeed. Yeah, to not get caught and to catch other people is so motivating. So if they could set those time gaps, even if it's 10-second time gaps maybe, and then have people release in batches, I guess, at the same time. I'm sure there's a way to do it. It's all digital. It's all virtual. So even if yeah. you had 100 people in a pen, you could start off everybody within 10 minutes and then uh, have a big leaderboard at the end and then have the um, – but it needs to reward the individual, the individual's time and uh, compared to your time next time. Mm. Nathan, this 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 kind of is going to turn into one of those conversations that we often have around the release of a new course, which is we love the new course. We do love the new course. We massively appreciate Fresh Tarmac and expansion of our world. But please, could we have some new functionality? Uh, yeah, I mean, 
We've been saying that for a long time, right? So we're beating a dead horse a little bit there. Um, but uh, I think that there is at a certain point, um, Zwift Road is Zwift Road, and you ride it the same way that you have ridden all of the rest of the Zwift Road. And um, oh, this is, we've said this one a few times before, but when does Zwift Road turn into the garage um, wall that we were looking at before because it no longer entertains us the same way, right? So the whole idea is that Zwift makes indoor riding fun um, and once people kind of have already been doing it for a very long time, we are seeing um, some of the older school community members start to churn a little bit, uh, I think because of this specifically, but there's still, I think, plenty of Zwifters. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now and to, to, to kind of play devil's advocate on the other side of that, where I'm like, wow, the numbers are really up and we're heading into summer here pretty quickly. So um, in comparison, you know, year after year, it seems like people are taking this more as, an, as, as a discipline, a part of their cycling, not just something they do in the winters any longer too. Go ahead, Shane. Yeah. Sorry, guys. To, sorry, guys. To butt in there yet. We saw that a little bit with New York. It's all flashy, all great, all new worlds. Uh, and then what? We sort of we, we now see more groups organizing their own rides or races or events or handicaps and changing the gameplay itself. So the community, again, is almost one step or two steps ahead of Zwift, again, still to this day for the gameplay experience. So, Nathan, I think that's what you're saying there is the gameplay itself provided by Zwift is still the same. It's still sort of set by their bounds, but it's the community that are taking this and doing what they can to make it better. We saw even with Zwift with GPS, we saw um, Gold Rush and things like that. I think, yeah, us, us long-term Zwifters are hoping to see a little bit of that gameplay moved into the game to change that experience. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, as Nathan says, we need to put this in context. It, it's the 5%, you know, maybe um, 8%, 10%, whatever. It's a minority who see a new road and say, very pretty, but meh, uh, what next? Um, and there are enough new Zwifters to, um, and for whom it's novelty and who are light users and who are not obsessive like us, um, you know, that the new roads do 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 work. Of course they do. Um, which brings us to Forest. Um, now, we got way more detail than we would ever, ever have got about an upcoming release thanks to, um, well, it's a hack by the looks of things. I mean, I guess he's been able to do this because... The release has been split into two and they've had to send out to every client computer the undeveloped part of the, um, well, the unreleased part of the new route, Shane. I mean, you know more about this coding kind of stuff than me, but that looks to me as, as, as though um, what's, what's happened. Yeah, the uh, the client pushdown included, it appeared, well, even in the um, the little companion app that goes with Swift these days, has the map in it for all the way along the, what appears to be a forest route. And it appears to be Jonathan Levy had jumped the fence. But not only did he jump the fence, he live streamed jumping the fence and invited people to come and join him on the other side of the fence. Um I was a bit hesitant to do that given my profile on social media, et cetera, because that is all against the terms and conditions we've agreed with with Zwift. And if I was to promote that and people started joining me, you could bet you that I'd be probably booted off the yeah, the system and maybe even off the Zwiftcast. But it's cool that people are doing this. Um, was it wise for Zwift to release that road that people can do this with? Probably not. Because once it's there, people will investigate and do these kind of things. But look, for those extra roads, I'm super excited for those. It's got a little bit more hillies to it. It's got a little bit more uh, deviation from the, the flat section. So bring that on. But maybe bring it on when it's actually released and done. Because what we're seeing online uh, may not be the finished product. Yeah. So if people are saying, oh, is that all you've got? It might. There might be more to it. 
Yeah, I think. Well, I think there almost certainly will be more to it. Um, and given that, Nathan, let's play that bit of a guessing game. I mean, we've all seen uh, how nearly ready this is. Um, what do you reckon, uh, May? In fact, uh, if I, I give me a date, me. let's play that silly game. <laughs> give me a date in May. Give me a date in May. Oh, first week of June, if you're saying oh, May. It'll be Zoom. It'll, it'll be Zoom. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> that could get very sticky. We might we might be slipping into August if we do that. Give me, come on, give me a date in May. Oh, yeah, all right. Oh, like, May, I'm going to take I'm, the first of June from you then. Uh, Shane, yeah, fine, give me a, that's fine. G- give me a date in okay, May. Okay, let's go Star Wars. May the 4th be with you. <laughs> I'll go early. I'm jumping in early. Yeah, I could be a bit early. I'll 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 play the classic fences and go uh, May the fifteenth. Uh, anyway, oh, interesting. All bases interesting, <laughs> interesting to see when that one comes out. Right on. Uh, right, well, plenty of discussion, fellas, around our musing last episode about use of the word blob and whether we liked it or not as a Zwifty way of describing a group. Um, I noticed that the marvellous ride leader, Tim Searle, is now using blob as an acronym for Bacon Lovers on Bikes. Uh, nice one, Tim. Um, but I had an interesting discussion with a Zwiftcast listener, a ride leader and long-term Zwifter, who contacted me to say that we'd actually missed the nuances and subtlety of the word blob in our last discussion. Here's what Graham said uh, in uh, in the manner of setting us right. Well, welcome to Graham Springit, all the way from Australia. Hi, Graham. Hello, how are you? I'm very well indeed, thank you. And I want to thank you for the uh, very polite and extremely informative email you sent to me following our discussion on uh, use of the word blob. And uh, it very politely pointed out that we got it completely wrong. How so, Graham? Um, well, the blob doesn't refer so much to the bunch of riders, more more the shape of the bunch of riders, which is indicative of what's going on at the front, which, of course, has an effect on every rider. So it's not a synonym for peloton. It's a much more descriptive word relating to the shape of the group of riders in Zwift. Absolutely. The, 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 the common word we see is blob, which, as the name suggests, is a nice rounded shape. Um, the other word we tend to see is snake, where you'll see the line of riders all lined out like you might see on TV at the end of the race where every, everybody's forcing the pace. And the, these two shapes are... Um, a, a really strong indicator to the leader of a bunch ride on Zwift, where that we, we see a snake. If rider on the front really stretching the pace, you'll see that uh, splits appear. Riders at the back tend to struggle, get dropped, get disillusioned with a bunch ride. Whereas if we have a blob, everybody is in a nice big group riding together. There's plenty of shelter for riders at the rear um, and it just tends to give a much more um, pleasant experience for riders who don't necessarily want to smash themselves riding on Zwift. And one of the, the, the key places where we see this is on the Innsbruck circuit, where we've got the, the short pinch climb on the, the urban circuit, where we got the steep climb, turn right, and it's immediate downhill. If we're lined out on there, there are riders near the back. Snakes who are, everywhere. Exactly. Riders near the back doing 6Ks an hour, riders at the front doing 50Ks an hour, and, and there are frantic messages saying, ease up, ease up, ease up, because where riders do go off the front, they encourage other riders to chase. We get a snake. We get gaps. And, and let's not forget that Zwift is for a wide range of riders. There will be riders who want to get there 
get on and smash themselves and there will be riders who are just doing it for the the fitness experience and for the social side of things so really and we're we're into the deepest level of semantics now but but it's really interesting this use of language blob is called is not a synonym for peloton and actually for people like you that you know the shape of of whatever we do wish to call it and blobs and snakes seems as good as anything else to me it is a real signal i mean it's like red flag amber flag green flag for you guys i guess absolutely yeah we can see on on the map the shape of the bunch it gives the ride leader uh, uh, an instant indication of how well the ride is going and and let's let's agree that a, a good bunch ride is one where everybody rides together just as in real life you, you start off from your meet point and somebody smashes it on the front everybody else will, will be saying oh goodness what what are they doing yeah yeah you're completely right you're completely right and that is a, a, a succinct precise uh, uh, and very interesting little um summary of in praise of the blob i think we should call this in praise of the blob Excellent. Graham, I'm very, very grateful for you so politely and so eloquently setting us right. Thank you very much indeed. Very interesting stuff. Thank you. You're welcome. Right on. Uh, well, he's right, boys, actually. I mean, Blob is not just a synonym for a group. It's way more descriptive than that, it seems. Um, Nathan, we, we missed all the nuances. Uh, I just don't like the word. I mean, I can like, yeah. I will never. So uh, well, I guess, okay, I have used it in commentary. I've shied away from it just because it's just, I don't know. Like it doesn't feel, it's it's almost a halfway. It feels like halfway to swearing. Like I just shouldn't be doing it. Like, like I can just, advise on the swearing. It's just, not a fun, it's just not a fun word to use. I guess, well, I guess it's fun, like 12 year old fun to use, but like, not like, I'm not, I'm not going to be like, so it's, 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 it's 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 the aesthetic qualities of the word yeah, itself. Yeah, like the it's riders are grouping up. You, you can say like, the riders yeah. are grouping yeah. up. Like, oh, now they're grouping yeah, up yeah. in the peloton. It's more a peloton or whatever. of like, There we go. Yeah, I mean, blob. <laughs> they're blobbing up. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to say they're blobbing up. <laughs> yeah, but Shane, I kind of get Graham's point. It's it's a, it's it's a hard working word. If if you know, I mean, I think we're too we're too deep in the weeds here. But yeah, no, I, <laughs> but I, I kind of get his yeah, point. Yeah, his don't clarity you? was good, and it does make sense. But I've made made note: blobs and snakes. They're the two things I try and avoid here out on the road in Australia, especially the snakes. <laughs> well, blob is not a hard working word. I think if you're blobbed, you're not. Working working hard like you need to get on your bike more the blobs like i don't know uh, okay all right that's enough blobbery um that's horrible that's even worse isn't it that's like rubbery one of my least favorite words okay let's move on um now there's been a bit of a kerfuffle in the community about the tour of Utopia. That the broader context is that these multi-day tours are phenomenally successful and wildly popular, and it's surely with that in mind that Zwift HQ took the action they did over the current tour. I mean, basically, they've acted to try to protect other events run by the community on the basis that these juggernaut events like the Tour of Watopia lay waste to every other event, kind of denuding them of riders. So slots to ride the Tour of Utopia were a little restricted. In some parts of the world, often coincided with the most popular times to ride, so mid-evening GMT, for example. Um, and I think the method of entry was changed, um, due to my difficulties described above. I've not, I've not done much of the Tour of Utopia. Um, this is a real difficult one, boys. I mean, there was so much complaining about it. 
But it, to be fair to, to 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 HQ, it seems to me they can't really do right for doing wrong here. Um, they try to protect community events, and that's laudable. But then upset a whole load of people, you know, with the inevitably inevitable consequences of kind of fewer time slots for the big tour. I mean, I've got sympathy, Shane. Um, but I am actually going to get off my fence here and say uh, what I think they should have done is just go bold, actually, and say the Tour of Autopia is massive, big, phenomenal, successful, and if um, it's marquee for us, and if the community events suffer while it's on, well, sorry, that's the way it is. Yeah, look, these events are super, super popular. Even if you're not doing them, you can jump into the companion app and have a look at how many people are signed up for them. It is phenomenal. So they are the key events on Zwift. But look, I think the timing thing is an interesting one and the scheduling because Zwift is now global. And while that's awesome, it's a problem with only one single schedule or calendar because at any time of the day, no matter where you are, somewhere else it's lunchtime, somewhere else it's bedtime, somewhere else it's 3 a.m., you cannot nail the timing for everyone. So maybe the solution now is for Zwift to start zoning the world into regions for calendars and events. This kind of makes sense moving forward for things that are not relevant to other parts of the world, such as the Prudential Ride London for here in Australia. It's not part of what I do, but it's scheduled on my calendar. Maybe Tour of California should be just US-based, maybe even the Tour Down Under event in the future should be just Australian based. I think the user, oh, user base idea, is um, I think the yeah. user base is large enough to have this. They've got regional area managers to make it work and it doesn't need to be exclusive either. A lot of people if they're listening to this idea and saying no, no, we don't want to be locked out. Look, riders can choose to ride whenever they want. But as for the marketing or the message or the push of these events, maybe it should be just sort of zoned a little better. What are your thoughts on that? Now, I think that's a I'd never thought of that actually. You're much cleverer than me. I think that's a really really good idea. I mean, is it terribly complicated? Bearing in mind, I struggle to get my head around, you know, three different time zones when we, we record the Zwiftcast. I can't actually begin to. It makes my head hurt just to think about That's that. That's the struggle. But, the but, um, uh, sinking time zones yeah, is a struggle. Yeah, yep. It really is, yeah. But, but like you say, just zoning it or regionalizing it, that does strike me as a great idea, actually. Nathan? Hmm. Local activation is cool. I think it should be maybe separate from these big world events. I like world events. I think world events are really cool as well. And I think we can do both. Yeah, but I think what Shane's is Shane's saying is they wouldn't be exclusive. There would just be something that's a bit more tailored. Yeah, I'm to not a saying exclusive zone. either. I'm not saying mm. exclusive either mm. at all. I'm saying that yes, localization and local activation that are uh, Southeast Asia area, that are North America area, that are European area. Currently, right now, the tour of Watopia felt like it was the tour of North America to me because I ride at night and I couldn't join one, and I was really frustrated. So I felt like the localization was already happening, and it was frustrating to me because it's the only. It's the it's the world event that's kind of going on in Zwift, and I agree with you a hundred percent, Shane. Community stuff is cool. People want to do community stuff. Do the community stuff. This is a Zwift thing, and if people want to do the tour of Watopia, that's a world event. Here's all of the times that you can do it and make it accessible to everybody. But then also have localized stuff too, that the local like managers, like you're saying, can help develop and make it more toward those time zones and. They'll kind of identify with that. Why not all of that? I think that's all a cool idea. So community can have their stuff. The localization can have their stuff. It'll help with brand activation there too. And then the world events though that everybody can get on should also have availability and not just feel like they're not available at times because I had trouble getting the Tour of Utopia done mm. for sure. Would it, would it be difficult to do all this? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Go on, Shane. Tell us why. 
even just uh, trying to arrange a, a conference call across time zones is always difficult. But also, how do you distribute that information? How, how is, do I, as a Zwifter in, well, Melbourne effectively, log in and see what events are local, what events are then global? How is that then sent out to oh, yeah. Zwift mm. as the global? But I think I think you're right. We can have global events. Um, but, for, for example, the Prudential Ride London, though, for marketing towards me, it's it's a lost cause. It, it's only kind of numbers on Zwift. Because it's meaningless. Yeah. It's, a, it's a meaningless thing to you. Yeah, yeah. whereas yeah. something like the um, the Amy Gillett Grand Fondo too. over here could be something we could spin up in that in place of that. So, be it it might sort of detract a little bit from the marketing um, appeal to say the Prudential Ride London. So it's not global anymore, but it's going to then be more regional based. And then regional communities. I think things are big enough now to have little regional communities. And we've spoken about tribes before. We want to belong to a smaller tribe and be more connected. This might be a way. It, I mean, like I say, it makes my head hurt to even think about it. So I can't, I can't possibly um, uh, grasp the complexities of it. On, on a kind of strategic level, you can see the dangers of it splitting the global community. I guess, Nathan, and in fact, it's, you know, it's the community that's held just feet to the fire over this this very matter. Actually, the the tour of Watopia. Um, I mean, do you think? Do you think I was right in 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 the initial premise that? They've tried to protect community events and therefore slightly restricted the, the tour of Ostopia. It kind of felt like it. It seemed like during prime time of community events that there wasn't as much going on or at least not butting heads with some of the um, bigger community rides or races and stuff like that. So, yeah, it seemed like that. Uh, I was wondering what was going on. I actually didn't think of that until you said it. And then it was like, oh, yeah, that makes a ton of sense why uh, I'm unable to find a Tour of Utopia ride where I was like used to, I can just jump on one anytime it's kind of convenient for me, my expectation. I almost like had a rant or vent about it. <laughs> At one point I went into the venting area and was like, uh, I'm not going to push send on that one. But I was like, I'm, I was like, like I can't find a tour of Utopia ride, and I want to ride Swift at my convenience, you know, kind of a thing. And it's like, all right, well, it's a world event. Maybe I have to change my day like I do for other group rides there in real life. And I was like, all right, Nathan, quit being such a narcissist, and like, you know, it started. Um, started looking for one that fit my schedule but then i went to log in later at night and i was like there was no tour of utopia ride from 9 p.m my time until like 11 a.m my time and i was like how is anyone on the other side of the world riding this you know i ride the late night thing or whatever and so i I just haven't been able to find one so it was interesting to see um the change up of a massive world event that um, people weren't able to get into. Now I do see that like the makeup week has stage one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all like whatever, like right next to each other, one after another, 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 another. So they were like, Oh, yeah, maybe we yeah. messed up a little bit, or maybe we need to really make this available. So they're trying to make them as available as possible in the coming weeks. I have some sympathy for HQ. They are in this, in this thing, trying to do that very difficult thing, which is, please all of the people all of the time. And we know how that usually ends up. Well, winners are made in winter, eh, boys? Does that phrase ring a bell? Um, Easter has come and gone, and at least on our side of the planet, Shane, mate, it's time to start thinking about riding outside a bit more regularly. Or at least that's what would normally happen. But there's been a bit of data around this week that shows that things are changing a little. Only a little, but changing for sure. Now, this is a British data, and referencing our um, um, most recent conversation, um, 
uh, it may not apply everywhere, but I do have a suspicion that in all the big Anglophone countries, especially where Zwift is popular and the two things may be connected, it may apply, though we don't know that for a fact. Anyway, here's the data. It's based on a survey for Sport England, and it shows that cycling is declining. Fewer people are doing it, or at least fewer people are doing it outside. People cite the usual suspects, traffic speed, potholes, Close passing um, is the phrase that's used. In other words, we all know that means aggressive drivers. Um, And all those things contribute to an intimidating and unpleasant experience. And when I read this, I I barely could believe my eyes. I had to be restrained, I tell you, from writing a letter. Um, This is how the Times, the Times, no less, the Times of London, not some tatty rag, reported it. The very words they used. Motorists have scored a victory in their long-running battle with cyclists, as official figures reveal a 355,000 drop in the number of regular leisure and commuter riders on the roads in 12 months. I mean, a victory in a battle. I mean, what the... This newspaper, you know, actually campaigned for cycling after one of its journalists was was seriously injured um, getting knocked off a bike. I, I mean, it's just no wonder that cyclists feel intimidated when... A respected national newspaper uses language like that. Just absolutely astonishing. Anyway, uh, rant over. Um, the national body, British Cycling, is concerned, as you would expect. But here's the thing that will interest Swifters. Um, right at the bottom of their story was an interesting little kind of sidebar footnote thing. Um, British Cycling, their words, we are pleased to see a moderate spike in the level of indoor cycling. And we hope that last month's inaugural British Cycling Zwift e-racing championships can help to further grow the profile of this discipline and encourage even more people to take part in the coming years. Rah, 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 good stuff. A couple of interesting things to discuss here. Um one, and this, this, you know, it's not directly of interest to Zwift as well. Actually, probably is, actually. And, and, and it's the first talking point for us, really, which is, is it actually getting more hostile outside? And secondly, um, and Zwift has always been pathologically careful not to fear market the platform. By that, I mean they don't highlight and never have done the perceived danger of, of riding outside. They're dead right to do that, by the way. Uh, um, let's talk about that because I think that's interesting. But the first question, um, is it getting worse outside? Shane, let's get your experience in Australia. Are, are there increases in the levels of hostility and aggression? Look, outside, I only have one data point, which is me. Uh, no, it really isn't here. But I think it comes down to something that I've noticed in the media, and that's now that we've all got bike cameras and dash cams and social media to share out any mishap that would otherwise have just been a memory or a twitch of the handlebars and a, oh, that was close. It now becomes a thread online and people joining the conversation and diving into the depths of the internet and how bad that can get. So I don't think so, but I'd like to hear back from other people as well and their experiences because, as I said, one data point, it's all pretty good here. Yeah, I mean the dash cam and the Garmin cams and everything else that we've got, and and the ability to publicise that to a wide audience quickly—that's really interesting. It definitely, in my view, does two things. Well, it definitely does one thing, and I'd be interested to hear your views on whether it does the second. The one thing it definitely does do is amplify every single incident. I'm leading, I think, to stupid journalists writing um, in, introductions to stories that, that, that describe it as a war between motorists and cyclists. Because if you look on social media, like you say, you know, every twitch of the handlebar turns into, um, you know, a near fatal, near miss. Um, so it, it, it can look that way. The, the, the flip side of that coin that I think is actually worth exploring is 
do we think that actually might be changing driver behavior for the better? In other words, these cameras are kind of acting as a bit like a policeman or policewoman, police officer. Nathan, do you think the technology could be working in our favor in that way? Yeah, perhaps I think that there's definitely a heightened sense of responsibility. There's a little bit of big brother going on around that too. Yeah. Uh, so when people feel um, a little bit more reserved about what they're going to be putting out there as it could all be recorded at any time whatsoever, definitely. Locally for me, I would have to go with Shane as well. There's been a big, big uh, push for cycling in this area. There's a lot of uh, pretty big shops in the area and Trek is local here, you know, 40 minutes down the road from me. With all of that kind of bringing cycling culture and some initiatives to bring cycling uh, infrastructure, I feel like it's getting better and better locally here uh, where I'm at. You still hear um, some culture war, some definite like motorhead versus cyclist yeah, world yeah. that are going to just naturally be like, you're not my people. You don't think like I do and you don't understand what roads are for like I do kind of a thing. But in general, I do think it's getting better. Now, I think there's another sentiment though that has people who know people who ride say that you should ride not outside more. Like like they don't want people to be riding outside. So like spouses and, Absolutely. Um, you yeah. know, they, they yeah. just are like, no, you need to ride inside. And I love this Swift thing. It keeps you home, not where it's dangerous, where I think about whether or not you're getting hit every time you go out. Yeah. And you see a lot of that on Swift riders, actually. And that, in fact, that was the next point I was going to bring up. Um, Shane, there were, you know, there were... <laughs> I don't know whether we we should give Zwift a pat on the back for doing this, because if they did the opposite, you know, the entire world, I think, would be down on them like a ton of bricks, quite rightly. So by not doing this, are they doing the right thing? But I think it is worth noting they have never, ever, ever fear-marketed, have they? Uh, there may have been a retweet here and there when somebody has celebrated themselves, but not directly. Um, and I think that's a, is a good reason for that because selling like indoor cycling by promoting the risks outside is a losing proposition. Zwift thrives in locations where riding outside is very, very popular. Australia here is a prime yeah. example. We can ride 24-7 and we're well overrepresented on Zwift. But if you look at countries that don't have a cycling culture because of the traffic problem, there's not much Zwift culture there. So you can't promote, you know, it's dangerous outside, don't ride ride because that's going to lead to less people riding indoors as their fitness of choice. So it's a good move. Um, but yeah, slippery slope as well. But you see a lot of people in the community celebrating that they don't get hurt, they don't get hit, uh, which is a valid thing. Absolutely. But a lot of us just want to ride outside too, because Zwift is about being fit for getting outside and feeling the wind in our hair. I think I've mentioned that before. I don't have hair, but I still like rolling around corners and, uh, <laughs> and you know, flying through, like sometimes flying through traffic makes you feel alive especially when you come out yeah. the other end yeah. alive. So there's that, the flying down a hill, you know, and that's 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 the core of why we are cyclists. Like, Nathan, you'll have that on the paths as well. If you, like, rail a berm, is that is that a cool term for the mountain bikers? I've got no idea. But if you do that and you pull it off, how good is it? Or if you do a jump now, even your Garmin will record you and reward you for doing an epic jump. The new Garmins do that, which are pretty cool. So you've got to – yeah, that's ironic. I jumped on my mountain bike today, Shane, and uh, was like, "Oh, I there missed running the needle that's through it. paths yeah. right now." Like, just for for the first time today, I was on my mountain bike in a long time, and definitely was a big smile on my face with Asa messing around on mountain bikes yeah. today. 
Yeah, so we can't lose sight of that. So we can't say, oh, Nathan, trees are bad. Trees might jump out at you and hit your handlebars. Better off stay inside. That's yeah. a losing proposition. So uh, I guess long way of answering this question. Yep, it's good to see they're not promoting Zwift and fitness indoors by sort of dissing outdoors because that's Trashing what we love. Outdoors. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and, and, and hats off to them. They've never, ever, ever done that. Um, a final word on this, Shane, uh, with your tech expert head on. Do you, do you think the tech is acting as a bit of a kind of policing of 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 of, of real you know the, the the mass of bad driving or just inconsiderate driving around cyclists oh look it definitely is if you are outside you are recorded so you have to act outside as if you're being watched and recorded and that will change behavior um, whether it's good thing or bad thing being recorded all the time if it changes behavior for good then you know, stick to the rules and you're all okay. Um, but if you're in the shower, sing like no one's watching, even though Google may be listening. <laughs> or Alexa. <laughs> I shouldn't say Alexa. I'll wake her up. Uh, <laughs> I'll wake everyone up. <laughs> yeah, and everybody else's. Yeah, apologies about that. Actually, yeah, that is a point. I'll edit it out. Um, okay. Um, well, so interesting discussion. On, on the subject of governing bodies, um, because uh, we were talking about British cycling there and their data gathering. Th- this is actually very, very big news. And and I think Zwift CEO Eric Min spread it across, I think he spread it across every single Zwift group on, on Facebook, quite rightly, um, because this is the culmination of a long, very careful lobbying campaign by Zwift at the UCI uh, for the worldwide governing cycling body, of course. In short, uh, the head of the UCI, David Lapartient, has given himself a job. His his words from a UCI statement, um, and they're talking about esports. The key role the UCI plays in this area has been recognised through my appointment as head of the International Olympic Committee, IOC, esports liaison group, which will facilitate communication between esports and the Olympic movement. The UCI must support and promote this growing trend, and these Again, obviously talking about e-cycling, which is why we have included e-cycling in our regulations and are organising the first UCI e-cycling World Championship in 2020. Um, so, chaps, two things there. The UCI is fully on board with e-sports um, and they're not leaving the job to the intern, Jane. Hmm, interesting one. Look, to me, the role of the UCI is for regulation and rule enforcement of the sport, and but I still think we're light years away from being able to regulate the hardware and software for a world championship or Olympic-level competition. That's because the reality that e-cycling operates in is man-made. So it'd need code review, it'd need to be certified, any updates would need to be recertified and rechecked, kind of what we see at the Vegas slot machines. You can't have a licensed slot machine without that code being one, two, three, every single line reviewed. Because if you're handing out career-changing awards and rewards, ones with a lot of money attached, maybe betting behind it, then it'd be part of their anti-corruption policy. So how do we know that one bike on a particular day, the red one, isn't faster? I mean, that's coded by somebody sitting in a chair, maybe in Long Beach. Look, we love those guys. That's all cool. But these things need to be checked, especially when we're talking this level. Um, I think this is bigger than just Swift. But I, I, I guess what they're saying, Shane, is that this is the first oh, yeah. steps, and yeah. it is the first steps, and it's baby steps towards the UCI setting up that kind of infrastructure. I mean, if you look, for instance, I mean, let's just talk – Oh, I don't know. We were just talking about law enforcement, or uh, you know, mm-hmm. or policing. You know, they have had to expand the role of policing to cope with digital crime. Well, this is like UCI expanding its role to co- cope with digital uh, cycling, yeah. and it means 
importing a whole different set of experts, developing a whole new set of skills. This pond they're jumping in is a lot deeper than what they may think. At the moment, they're just scanning bikes for motors on the start line. But I'm talking code review for the reality being provided, be it Zwift or be it any other platform. And then even the power meter is involved. That'll have to be a code review because what happens if somebody gets in and corrupts this power meter brand or this power meter or this trainer firmware goes faster if you do this certain thing to it? Like this level is the scrutiny that is required for Olympic level and their world-class competition. There's a lot to it than that. And then we've, we've also discussed, is Zwift the choice for the UCI? Obviously it is. We're Zwifters. We're on the Zwiftcast. We love that. But is Zwift the one that's going to be chosen this year and in four years' time? Like they move the Olympics, do they choose another platform? And does that go through the same scrutiny? This is a very, this is like fascinating to me coming from the tech world and from an IT security point of view. It's a tough one though. Look, I'm, I'm, I welcome it with open arms. I you know, was fasc- fascinated to see that was uh, even spoken about in the UCI's uh, press release there. But um, bring it on. But whoa, what a workload. Oh, yeah, huge. I mean, a massive expansion of that role, massive. But they've got to be a part of it or they'll, or they'll be left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan, sorry, you know, Nathan, this is the culmination of a lot of work by Zwift. Yeah, um, I think it's also, you know, okay, I don't see personally, like being from the esports world, I don't see that many hoops to jump through. I see like you put people in the same spot on the same technology without some of the failures that we do see right now, which is mainly on the manufacturer sides of things. If they need to get their act together to like meet Olympic like level quality and have their trainer be a part of that, I think there's going to be a lot of motivation to make that happen really quickly. Um, and we already have major events that give away $20 million in all kinds, like, like lots of millions and millions of dollars, lots on the line in other esports. I think there's a huge amount of background there already to make sure that things work well. We need to add trainers to the equation. Besides that, I don't, I guess, okay, I do see maybe some things in um, how fast some of the numbers get uploaded to Zwift and things like that. But outside of like increasing the tick rate of what goes into Zwift for the information, so it's a little bit more reliable and maybe some results things, which I just think is like some shoring up of some of the code that doesn't seem like a lot of work right now. I think it's pretty, I don't know. I feel like it's plug and play. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I think with people, and that's another thing that comes up all the time in these forums. And I just like beat my head against the wall. Everybody talks about from all over the world, like as if these events are going to be people all over the world in a massive multiplayer online. And I'm like, no, every major esports event in the entire world happens in an arena. Is in the same room. In the same room because there's big money on the line. We've been doing this for a long time. This is nothing new, you guys. Like, so anyway, not a long time. I should say esports are 10 years old or whatever, but it's been happening without all of these issues that people start to bring up that are just non-issues. So that's my take on it. Mm. Well, I mean, the thing is any problem or pretty much any problem uh, can be solved with sufficient money, motivation and recognition of the size of the prize at the end. And it seems to me that the UCI, whether that is the result of lobbying by Zwift or their own observations or feeding in from national federations, I mean, you know, British Cycling have obviously noticed that, hey, 
virtual cycling is becoming a thing, uh, you know, no doubt they tell their mates at the UCI that and all the other national federations are probably saying the same thing. You know, uh, they, they, they've had to get on board, but their endorsement, Jane, and their ability to wield influence at the Olympics, I mean, you know, you can't not say that that's a big thing. Look, it's going to happen. If they're talking about it, it's going to happen. So it's uh, it's going to be a good thing. It's it's interesting, though, that the Olympics and everything was founded on amateur and non-sponsored, and it was purely about the sport and country against country. And companies and brands were and kept at a minimum. This is going to have to introduce, no matter, no matter what sport we're talking, e-cycling or even e-rowing or any virtual sport coming into the Olympics level, mm. is going to have to be chosen a certain platform. And that brings in the commercial side. So there's going to be a bit of a graying of areas there. It's going to happen. But again, it's going to be interesting to see how they, uh, they cope with that. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Well, all developing very quickly. And um, stick with the Zwiftcast for all the latest. Okay, final uh, final feature. Let's talk, um, if you'll forgive me, um, but I do think it's worth people knowing more about this. Let's talk about atrial fibrillation, the condition I've just had and which has now happily been fixed. Um, this, just to recap, is where the heart goes into arrhythmia, which is basically a state of electrical chaos. Now, you know, I've said this at the top of the podcast and I'll say it again here. I, I really don't want to be alarmist or scaremongering about this, but for endurance athletes this can be a thing i mean it's only just crossed my radar and and i was so surprised by what i discovered just as an example a 2009 meta-analysis of six case controlled studies on athletes showed that being an endurance athlete makes you five times more likely to develop af atrial fibrillation and that's one in four people um, who qualify as endurance athletes um, will end up with the condition. Um, Sean Kelly, the, the the old Tour de France guy, whose uh, voice is heard uh, still a lot in the sport because he's a, a, a big big presence on Eurosport. Um, he he suffers a lot from from AF, and and there are many more examples. The causes aren't definitely known, um, but there is some quite good evidence that many years of hard exercise can contribute towards towards the condition. Now, if you're interested in knowing more about this, I'd point you towards an excellent article on cyclingweekly.com. Um, um, a real, uh, um, I don't wish to do down cyclingweekly.com, but this was um, uh, a, a really well-researched, thoroughly in-depth piece, which is really, really well worth reading. Just search um, for Can You Push Your Heart Too Hard on cyclingweekly.com. Anyway, um, let's talk to Greg Hilton, the, the club mate of mine I mentioned before, because when I found out I had AF, I found out Greg did too, and he and I started talking. And this is just a little flavour of the sort of conversation we've been having over the past couple of months. Greg, first of all, let's just get a picture of what kind of cyclist you are. Give me a very, very brief potted history. Um, cycled a lot when I was a kid. Cycled again in my 40s and got more and more into it. Got into chain gangs and longer sportives. And eventually did things like coast to coast in a day with a club, which was 11 hours of cycling. Since your 40s, you've ridden pretty hard, you'd say. I think so, yeah. And then as you enjoy it more, I think you ride more and push yourself a bit further to try and be first up the hill or get higher in the rankings. Yeah, sounds a familiar story. When did you first discover you had AFib and how? Um, it was approximately three years ago. I was riding 
some hills and my Garmin told me my heart rate was 210 beats per minute. You immediately think the technology is incorrect and try three different straps. And after trying, I think about four different straps, I suddenly thought perhaps it is my heart. So I, I did some research and went to um, a local cardiologist. I had no other symptoms. I had no chest pain. I still felt fit. I could still cycle up and down Yorkshire Hills. I just could not believe that the one organ in my body that was going to let me down would be my heart. Were you? Was that kind of the same thing for you? Yeah, very similar. All the press tell you that exercise is good and you should be pushing yourself to be healthy and look after your heart. It's a muscle. You need to use it. So I was quite amazed at the time. And my cardiologist wasn't in the least bit surprised when I told him I was a cyclist. Was, was yours the same? very common in middle-aged endurance athletes, I think was the word he used with me. He said he sees it all the time. You then went off and did, I think, what I did, which was do a ton of research. What did what did you find? I found more and more people seemingly having this. Um, I found a couple of people in kind of friends of friends who had it, um, who I, I knew nothing about it at all. It doesn't seem to be something that is talked about. And then um, I found a book as well where there was a ton of um, case studies of endurance athletes, um, cross-country skiers, runners, cyclists, with pretty similar results. So they all had AFib or some kind of similar problem. And it, the book's called The Hay Haywire Heart. You can find it on Amazon. Basically, my heart was jump-started back into rhythm. You, you didn't have such a straightforward procedure, did you? We decided to do something called a catheter ablation. They insert various things up through your groin, which is clearly an obvious place to go to fix your heart. <laughs> Um, fortunately, I was knocked out under general anaesthetic, but they, they then create scar tissue inside your heart around parts that are sending the incorrect electrical signals to try and block those incorrect signals being sent. And what, what, I mean, I was horrified when this happened to me, Greg. I mean, you know, I've also been, been suffering from prostate cancer, which to be honest, was a walk in the park compared to this heart thing, because the effect on my life was was fairly drastic. I mean, I got breathless going upstairs. Obviously, I was useless on the bike. Um, what what day-to-day -day effect did it have when you were out of rhythm? I was finding the same as you. Walking the dog, was I was getting breathless. My wife was joking why I was always lagging behind her. Um, I was trying to do easy running, and my heart rate was 170 beats per minute at, I don't know, ridiculously slow pace. You could probably walk a slower pace, than, sorry, a similar pace to that. And that's when I just thought something's not quite right. When you got the diagnosis and, and post-treatment, um, did you resume a normal life? I am resuming a normal life with some caution, I think. I was told to keep my heart rate under 120 beats per minute for the first couple of months, which is just coming to the end now. And uh, he told me I can perhaps start to increase that a little bit. So I'm doing it step at a time with a, a laser sharp eye on my heart rate. Yeah. And, and is that the way you think you're going to live your sporting life now with kind of heart rate barriers? I hope to compete still and I hope to have fun. I don't think I'll be doing eight hill repeats like I used to do. I think Zwift has been superb, actually, because you can sit, in my case, in my garage, and if your heart rate goes up above whatever you decide, you can just stop. You don't have to worry about cars or traffic or anything like that. So it's been really useful for my recovery. Yeah, no, it's very true. Erg mode must be a great friend of the AFib um, sufferer. I've kept saying throughout this 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 podcast and on this subject that that I don't want to scare people um, and and I hope that if people are interested in this subject they'll read around it and realise that you know the benefits of exercise I think will always always outweigh any risk associated. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with me on that, but I still come back to the fact that if you know nothing about this, it is a bit of a shocker. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think when you hit middle age, whether you're in your late 40s, your 50s, just keep an eye on your heart rate. And if things aren't right, swap with a mate's heart rate monitor or a strap and just see if it happens again. And just keep an eye on it and be sensible. No, I think it's an awareness thing, isn't it? Just just be aware, be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck, Greg. I'm sure we'll carry on swapping texts about whether we are in or out of rhythm. <laughs> um, but I, I very much hope that uh, that you get as much fitness back as, as you want. And thanks very much for telling us all about it on the Swiftcast. No problems, and hopefully see you on a ride sometime outside in the real world. Yes, yeah, yeah, we'll be the guys nose down on the heart rate monitor. <laughs> okay, I've said it like a million times now, and I'll say it again. Uh, exercising is always better than not exercising. Um, but, Shane, were you aware of this condition and its association with long-term endurance sport? Yeah, look, I've had a, um, a read of a few articles on cycling tips over the years about this in endurance athletes. And is it, um, what do they call it, a heart expansion or something? Look, I'm not an expert in this field yeah, at all. Yeah, it, well, it's it, dilation of a, of a certain part. Basically, your heart, you know, it's a muscle that gets bigger if you use it more. It gets yeah. bigger and in getting bigger, I mean, I'm speaking lay language here, and, and in getting bigger, it can sometimes slightly alter the structure of the heart and the alteration of that structure can make this condition more likely. Yeah, there's and that, you know, I hope I hope I've got that right. But I think a, that's more or less it. There's a really good article on this over on cycling tips. Um, I'm sure if you Google cycling tips and arterial fibrillation, you'll actually find it. It's a really good one. Also, a um, a, a world class rider here, William Walker, suffered from this during his career. It ended his career. He then came back, suffered it again. So we kind of followed Will's um, posts and things like that, and how he was going um, through his social media and how he was tackling it. So I'm, I'm aware of it. Um, I've always had little heart flutters, I think, but it could be because I see a llama in a paddock or I had an extra coffee or something. So <laughs> I've never got checked for it, but like bringing attention to this, it's like, you know what, maybe it should be time. I've just turned 40. Well, six months ago, turned 40. So it might be time for me to start looking at this. But the question I had, Simon, is if you're like Nathan, you down two Red Bulls before a Zwift cast, does that have any impact? Do they tell you to stay away from the caffeine or <laughs> I love coffee. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> Uh, well, I love coffee too. Um, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, there's an awful lot about this mm-hmm. that is unknown, it has to be said. Um, ne- but Nathan, you know, uh, through the <laughs> Red Bull haze of uh, intoxication, uh, <laughs> I know you're able to speak clearly on this. Um, were you aware of this? Oh, yeah. Uh, as a coach, I've had multiple clients um, Have you who now? are... Hmm. Yeah, fifty to 70, uh, 70 plus. Uh, I, have a, I have a I have a client who's in the seventies who still skis pretty hard and, and um, has had AFib and then comes in and out of it. Uh, my grandpa has AFib, um, and uh, you know it's 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 pretty uh, familiar. I think in the circles um, I've been around. I do wonder about. Um, Caffeine consumption around exercise in this. I wonder if the, I wonder how much studies have been done around like other variables around your exercise too, and how hard yeah. everything. I'll have yeah. to check out that article, but um, yeah, I'm definitely aware. Uh, my take on this, and I'm with you on not scaremongering and exercise is better than not. Is um, <sighs> like I kind of like the benefits overall of the 
endurance exercise regardless. Yes. That um, how much benefit it brings, not just in quality of life long-term, quality of life in my experience of it, as well as the payoff of how much I'm able to do in life because of all of my exercise, that that payoff is so much greater as to whether or not I might have a blip in my heart um, later down the road. Personally, I think mediocre in this area would have me less able later in life than I am with a little bit of AFib if I have a higher chance of it. So that's my personal take on it um, as far as... Uh, well, that would con- that would concur with mine, um, Nathan, even with the benefit of hindsight. I mean, I, you know, I would not change how hard and how often and how much exercise I've done if the result of that was not suffering from AFib. I really wouldn't have changed it, to be honest. Everybody I know with it too is fully functioning and was able to keep exercising and they would get a little bit out and then they would come back in. And if they stayed out, then they had to back off a little bit, but we're still fully able to participate in some cool things, yeah. just not be able to maybe go as hard. Yeah, so, exactly. And I think you just learn to live your life in and out. And, and there are some amazing tools now to find out whether you are in or out. And the other, of course, major benefit, as far as I'm concerned, of being... Uh, what I hope is only um, a temporary AFib sufferer, but, you know, it's removed any excuse that was remaining of not adding an e-bike to the fleet. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We were were nodding. We were nodding. Well, I mean, I need one now, don't I? I need one. (laughs) I'm just just not... Uh, No (laughs) way. Well, it's as clear as day. As I said to my wife the only only the other day, I definitely need one now. I mean, I, you know, for those odd days that I'm going to AFib, I'm just going to have to get the, the e-bike out. There's, but can't there's you no just connect way. the motor to your heart and then it'll just cut you back in rhythm? <laughs> Is there a feeling? Yeah. What, a bike that detects whether you're in or out of AFib? Yeah, and it can just a wireless you. module so you can check on your head unit. You know, what's my, uh, the heart rate? How are the valves going? Okay, cool. It's a Connect IQ app. Yeah. Endless opportunities for developers there, I think. But, you know, um, I think we discussed this before. You know, I have no fundamental objection of any description whatever to e-bikes. Um, so obviously I'm going to have to buy one now. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> why wouldn't I? Yeah, you'll, lo- you'll put it on Zwift, right? You'll have the drill. You'll just have the drill now and you'll be good to, and you'll be good to go no matter what. Once a flyer, a, always a category a racer, here comes the Zwift cast. <laughs> God, there are no secrets here, are there? Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think well, I think we've spent more than enough episode talking about my particular afflictions and and uh, desires. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's wrap this one up um, with the traditional kind of any other business, really. Shane, what's uh, what's what, what else is rocking your world at the moment? Um, oh, speaking of. Caffeine, I'm still shaking off uh, jet lag because I've just returned from Sea Otter over in the US. That's the second, yeah, that was a bit of fun. Not a lot of technology there, though, so not a lot to report here in the Zwiftcast from what we've seen over there. Um, A lot of announcements prior and after, but it definitely wasn't a a Eurobike, a lot of mountain bike tech and things like that. So still getting used to being back in the Australian time zone and our daylight savings is now gone, so now it's dark already and it's only 6 o'clock. But, yeah, just continuing to do my thing. And, uh, yeah, you can check it out across all my social channels. Well, we will do, as we always do. Uh, Nathan, are you still maintaining this um, very, very heavy training schedule? Um, I got sick. I got sick, like, a lot. 
um, from all, okay. And I started hanging out with this company. I don't know if you heard of it. Uh, it's called Zwift. And <laughs> when I started hanging out with the company more, I started riding. Less, yeah, less. So, yeah. So Long Beach, mm-hmm. London, Belgium, Kiss Super League. I mean, it was like yeah. boom, 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 boom. Then I got sick twice because travel and maybe didn't do travel well or whatever. And now I'm just, I don't know if you still hear my voice a little bit right now. It's a little bit of a downtime immediately after um, British Cycling Championships, all the Kiss Super League stuff. And I'm just now getting over crazy green everywhere from my, you know, body essentially flew something. I don't know what it was. (laughs) And like, so now I'm just getting back on the bike and yeah, I'm I'm riding every day now, but that just started this week. So I kind of got set back. Uh, but we're getting going again and, uh, lots of planning, planning, planning Zwift stuff for, uh, lots of cool, exciting things. And probably in the next week or two more ZCL stuff as we, um, get done planning, but, uh, Zwift community live stuff for those who are unfamiliar with the acronym, but, um, and lots of other things that are, we can't really talk about just yet, but lots of cool things. Lots, lots of cool things down the road with all the planning <laughs> that's happening. But, you know, it's kind of like heading to that every year with Zwift, you have this kind of like little bit of a lull after the main season, you know, and that's kind of what we're in in that planning mode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I can see that you've been very busy over over the winter racing season. Um, <clears throat> OK, well, let's say I'm going to go and find the keys to unlock the gates to the Enchanted Forest. Uh, but in the meantime, um, I'll thank my fellow Swiftcasters very much for their contribution to episode 63. Thank you very much, boys. See you next time and look after yourselves. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Skeptics. Cheers. Bye. So all that remains is their customary thanks and gratitude to Zwift for their continuing support of the Zwiftcast and the usual reminder to listeners that um, none of that support carries with it any degree of editorial influence on the Zwiftcast. We're free to say what we wish. Thanks very much indeed for listening. See you next time.